In modern times, one of the most difficult issues leaders are faced with is helping those who struggle with mental health. No longer can we simply encourage a good measure of scripture study and prayer and expect everyone's life to stabilize. This is why Leading Saints felt it was so important to organize the Mentally Healthy Saints Library. There, one can find 25 plus presentations all about ministering to those who struggle with mental health. We cover topics like depression, anxiety, scrupulosity, or OCD. We even cover how to effectively refer individuals to professional therapists and make sure they are getting the help they need. This and so much more. If you'd like to review all of these sessions, we would love to have you do so at no cost. You can visit leadingsaints.org 14 and get access to the full library for 14 days. You'll also receive access to all our virtual libraries where we cover additional leadership related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. jumping into another How I Lead episode where we uh, reach out to everyday leaders across the world and just ask them, how is it that they lead? And today we're headed up to a beautiful part of the United States of America, Anchorage, Alaska, to chat with Sharon K. Fisher. Welcome to the Leading Saints podcast, Sharon K. Thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. Now we uh, chat a little bit before we hit record and you've been in uh, Anchorage area for about uh, 10 years and uh, maybe just put your life into perspective as far as where you're originally from and, and your development and faith in, in the church. Um, well, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I grew up in the church. My family is very active. My dad was the bishop or in the bishopric most of the time through my teenage years. Mm-hmm. And then when we got my, I met my husband at BYU and, um, we've spent most of our married life in Southern California, a short time in Florida, a short time in Texas. And then we moved here to Alaska 12 years ago. So. Nice. Nice. And what's the best part of living in Alaska? Oh my goodness. The summers are beyond beautiful. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I visited in the summers and I, it's just like mind boggling. I feel like I'm walking around in a postcard. It's uh, so beautiful up there. Yes. And pictures don't do it justice. You yeah. take a picture and you're like, no, it's prettier than that. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely a place everybody has to visit uh, mm-hmm. for sure. So, and uh, I guess a, a year ago or a couple of years ago, you were, you were released as serving as the Ward Relief Society president. Uh, how long right. did you serve in that role? So I was released um, last um, July. So it's been a little over okay. six months. So oh, yeah. Okay. And I served for five years in that calling. Nice. And when you were first called, uh, was this your first go at Relief Study President? It was my first go at Relief Study President. I'd been a primary president a couple of times, state primary president, young women's president, but honestly, <laughs> Relief Society, and I'd been counselors in all those organizations, but Relief Society President was one I had hoped I would never have. (laughs) I never told anyone for fear it would happen, but it did anyway. (laughs) Nice. Nice. And is there, is there anything to the story of how you were called that that stands out or was it pretty routine? Um, Well, I had just been serving as the stake um, primary president, which I would say that is the calling I probably loved probably almost more than any other calling. And then I get called into the one calling that I had, hope to not get so 
the contrast was pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what do you remember just from those first couple of weeks or first couple of months of transitioning to that role, selecting counselors, or does anything stand out during that time? Well, um, every time I've been served as a president, I always felt like the hardest thing was picking my counselors because I knew once I had good counselors, they were going to help me with everything else. Hmm. And so that was always kind of, for me, like a stress, but I was very blessed with good counselors. One of them served the entire five years. A second, my second counselor, I went through six of them because they kept moving or having babies. (laughs) (laughs) And I served with wonderful, wonderful women. And that really, that makes all the difference. Yeah. And is there anything to uh, the process that you go through? Is it more of just like a reflective, meditative, maybe going to the temple type thing? Or um, how did you go about uh, selecting those counselors? Well, when I was called a state primary president, the I didn't, we were kind of new in the stake and I didn't know very many people in the stake and I was really, um, felt at a loss and the stake president gave me some really good advice. He said, think about the type, the kind of woman you want to serve with you and then look for that kind of woman Hmm. rather than just going through names. Well, would she be good or that? Think of the kind of woman, the qualities you need to balance your weaknesses or whatever, and then look for that kind of yeah. person that has that. And I loved that. Nice. And, and not to put you on the spot, but as far as like considering your own weaknesses and, and making up the gap, you know, with a, a counselor, what, what comes to mind is you think, what are, what are your weaknesses? And then how did you uh, fill that gap? Well, I, let me say, I need someone that's maybe, has a stronger personality than I do. Okay. It's more of a push forward kind of person because I tend to take a softer approach. Hmm. And so I need someone that can, you know, be direct and say it like it is. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. I need that to balance me out. Nice. Awesome. So I, w- I want to give a, a shout out to your, your husband, Brent, who also listens to Leading Saints. And I think he's the one that uh, put this interview in motion by reaching out to me and, and suggesting your name, um, which I appreciate because I know this will be a great opportunity to learn from you. But uh, he had mentioned sort of your approach to ministering with ministering interviews and connection and just ministering on a one-to-one level. And I don't think anybody really has it figured out per se, but this is definitely something that a lot of Relief Society presidents, elders, corn presidents, seek guidance on, pray about is how do I do these ministering interviews in a way that is sincere, that's effective and and whatnot. And so just talking broadly about this concept of ministering and one-to-one connection, where where should we start with that concept? Um, First of all, when I was called, I felt like my priority needed to be one-on-one ministering to sisters. And that I would have my counselors do as much as possible, the activities and the Sunday and the temple and family history. And I had wonderful compassionate service leaders. And I wanted my time to be able to use one-on-one. And, and you know, we did, uh, my counselors did ministering interviews also, but I still stepped in, even they, they were being interviewed formally, you know, for ministering their ministering assignment, I still stepped in and talked to sisters, you know, just throughout the ward and 
really, it was a prayerful thing, knowing who needs a little bit more attention right now, who needs a little bit more support. And mostly these were like informal. I mean, sometimes I would go to homes and visit. A lot was done on the phone, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of phone calls. Um, sometimes at church, like I'd make a conscious effort to seek someone out to make contact. And I'd always pray before church. If there was someone that needed um, needed some attention or needed some love, you know, that I would be guided and directed to who needed that. So, so like I said, most of these were informal contacts, you know, just calling up saying, I've been thinking about you. Um, how are you doing? And, and through those frequent contacts, and a lot of times sisters would open up and start sharing with me because I felt like a relationship of trust had been established. And so I had the opportunity to, I guess you could call it counseling, but visiting with sisters. And um, there's so there was a couple um, principles that I tried to keep in mind in, in these visits. And number one, to be a safe place. And number two, to be a listening ear. So let me just kind of break those down just a little yeah. bit. So to be a safe place um, where, where sisters felt safe sharing with whatever whatever was on their heart. And that meant listening without judgment, to know that they weren't being judged, and to keep confidences. If, if someone told me something very personal, I would let them know, I, am, I will not share this unless you give me permission. Um, and sometimes I would feel like my counselors would be a support too, or that it needed to, the bishop need to be aware, but I would ask permission, you know, is it okay if I share this with my counselors or with the bishop, just so that they knew that what they said was safe, because if, if people don't feel it's safe, then they're not going to share next time. Yeah. So to make it a safe place and then to listen with the, with your heart and um, something really valuable that I learned from one of my counselors is is to begin by simply validating and acknowledging what they're saying. A lot of times we want to jump in with a suggestion or a solution or a little pat answer, but really to just validate what they're experiencing and just say, I I can see this is really hard and this is painful. I am so sorry that you're going through this. I'm not even sure what to say, but thank you for sharing. Will you tell me more? And just to validate and then let them share and to listen, really just listen to, to understand. And as I would listen, I would be praying the whole time. If there was something I should say or do that I would be inspired because honestly, I have no training in counseling. I'm just like, I'm clueless. So I would just be praying. And sometimes a thought would come to me. And at the appropriate time, I would then ask permission. I, I would say, you know, as we've taught, a thought has come to me. Is that okay if, if I share that? Hmm. And I found that if I would ask permission, people are more willing to be accepting of, of what you have to offer. And, wow. um, and then to ask the question, what do you want and what do you need? Because sometimes we just assume we assume yeah. we know their needs 
And sometimes if we ask, we might be very surprised. And, and is there okay if I share a little example of yeah, that? Yeah, please do. I love that. So um, there, I remember this one time, a sister in the ward had a baby and she had, she had a C-section. So it was going to be a longer recovery and, you know, physical restrictions. And she was prone to postpartum depression and, and she knew that. And so as I touched base with her and, you know, checked to see how she was doing and what she needed, what she wanted, I, in my mind, I'm thinking she probably got some meals and maybe some help with the housework or, you know, whatever, those kinds of things. And she said, what I really need is I need someone to come and be with me during the day, just for an hour or two when my husband's gone and the kids are at school. I need someone to come talk to me. Because if I'm alone, that's when I feel that I may fall into the depression. Yeah, and, wow. And so I was so thankful that she was honest about that. And I was glad I asked because then I was able to line up sisters to, you know, give an hour or two um, during a day. And, you know, different sisters offered that support and it was good for the sister that needed it. It was good for the sisters that were able to go and get to know her. It wasn't a hard thing. It was just going and visiting for an hour. You yeah. Know? yeah. So just asking, what do you need and what do you want is, is really an, an important thing. And then um, to be a connector hmm. in our presidency meeting, we would always, um, kind of look at each other and, and smile and say, we're just the connectors because as we would find out needs of sisters, then as we would discuss that, and actually that's a good part of what our presidency meeting was, was um, talking about needs. You know, we had all the administrative stuff, but most of our presidency meeting was spent talking about individual needs. So as we became aware of needs and then of sisters who could help meet those needs, we'd say, well, we just need to connect them. We're just the, just the connectors. You know, we don't have to do it all, but we're aware of the needs. We're aware of the gifts and we can connect these sisters so that they can be a support um, to each other. Yeah. And, and I love just the concept of that, that it removes a lot of the weight of sometimes these calling that we put on ourselves because of these callings, right? I feel like I got to do it all or they're depending on me, but just say, Hey, I'm, I'm just the connector. Uh, I don't have to do it all, but if I can facilitate the connection, great. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, to encourage them to continue praying and reading their scriptures, even if it's just opening up and reading a verse, sometimes when people are going through really hard things or painful things, sometimes they can feel disconnected from the spirit or not feel it. And it's easy to, you know, let go of those habits of prayer and scripture time, but just encourage them to continue that because, because Jesus Christ is going to be the healer, the true healer, and they need to keep that connection. And then probably um, the most important thing is to express love. Hmm. Let them know that you love them and heavenly father and Jesus Christ loves them. And um, to let them feel your love and be the bridge to feeling Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ's love. If they can't feel it right th then, let mm -hmm. them feel your love and be the bridge to when they can feel that. Mm -hmm. So that's... Yeah, you know, I love that. 
I love that. There's, there's so much there, Sharon Kay, that uh, to consider, like, you know, because I, I would have asked, like, if you were to talk to a brand new Relief Society president who's taking on this role of doing ministry interviews, there's some great key points here. Just the, first of all, I love this, this routine of taking on a posture of service by just before you go to church or engage in this role as Relief Society president, you're, you're doing so prayerfully. You're saying, you know, help me pick up on the needs and who I need to reach out to. And I, and I love that inviting the sort of that guidance of the spirit and uh, frequency um, is, you know, as far as this, uh, you know, building a relationship of trust, like frequency is, is definitely underrated in my opinion. Like, and that's why I'm a big proponent that the Relief Society president or the Elders Quorum president, that they are the one that, that, that does the interviews again and again and again. I know it's a lot of work, but if you delegate everything else, it, uh, it can, it's possible. And because when they see you, Sharon Kay, every time they have an interview, they're like, Oh, it's Sharon Kay again. Like I'm, I'm connected with, with her, but if it's different, it's harder to build that, that deeper connection. So frequency is a huge one. Um, love the validation asking permission. I mean, to me, this is a great outline. And again, not that it, everybody should follow this outline or do it this way, but if you're lost, like what a great way to approach these ministering interviews. And, and, you know, a lot of them were not ministering interviews. They were yeah. just simply, I felt a need to make contact and just check in. How are yeah. you doing? And yeah. that was it. Just how are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it yeah. So, so how did that connect it? And that's obviously everybody I mean, wants to be in that posture with this is, you know, we're not just trying to get through the list of ministering interviews, but how did that overlay with the administrative duty that you had to do ministering interviews? Did you sort of count these casual interviews as that connection? Like, okay, well, I just met with, you know, Susan, you know, on a casual meeting or I called her. And so I'm going to count that as the ministering interview or how did you fulfill that administrative role? It just kind of depended. And, and actually when the intent was to do a ministry interview, the very first question I would ask was, how are you doing? And sometimes yeah. that's all we talked about. Right. Yeah. We, because that's what was needed. We never yeah. even got to who they ministered to. And that was okay. That uh-huh. was okay because that was the need. So it just, I just let the spirit guide, yeah. you know, it was kind of different and this depending on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, anything else with, uh, you know, counseling with sisters or ministering that we haven't hit on, or do we hit the, the main points there? Well, just, um, just a couple more things, yeah. um, to recognize when the, the situation is bigger than what you can handle and hmm. to, um, to say, you know, I think this is something the Bishop needs to be aware of. I, you know, I encourage you to meet with the Bishop or to give them, um, resources you know i had names and numbers of lds um you know professional counselors and support groups and so so to have that the resource information available when that was needed and then something um something that i wasn't aware of and i don't even know if it was available when i was serving but the church website has some awesome resources and I don't know if it's, if it was there when I was serving, if it was, I didn't know about it. Yeah. But, um, 
So if you just go to the church website and, and type in counseling resources, and then also the general handbook section or chapter 31 hmm. has some good ideas and suggestions. So I would pass that on because I didn't know about it. And I yeah. wish I had an idea. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. But sometimes we, we, we miss those obvious resources, right? To help leaders. Awesome. Um, so let's uh, just talking more generally, as far as your approach to the society, you know, this concept of you put down an outline here as far as ask God, what is most needed now? Uh, any, any example or experience coming to mind? Yes, actually. Um, it was the second day after I was called. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> so, so as I said, this was not the calling I had ever hoped or wanted to have. And so I was feeling extremely, extremely overwhelmed and, not even knowing where to begin and just, just absolutely overwhelmed. And so I had gone to pick up my son from school. And so I had gone early to sit in that long, you know, pickup line of parents that pick up their kids from school Mm -hmm. in a pickup line. You know what I mean? Yeah. School wasn't even out yet. So I was there early and I'm just sitting there in the car and just having this little conversation with my father, just telling him, you know, I don't even know if I can do this. I don't even know where to start. And the thought came to me to call a particular sister. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And I knew she had had surgery um, the week before. And so I called her to check on her to see how she was doing, what she needed or wanted, and, you know, that she was loved. And, And then when I hung up, then the spirit taught me and said, you don't have to do everything. Ask me what is needed now, and I will help you know. And right mm-hmm. then, what was needed was to call that sister. And so I would, so that's what I did. You know, I would constantly ask, okay, Heavenly Father, what is most needed now? What is most needed today? And, and often it was an individual, you know, mm-hmm. a person to contact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so um, I just learned, yes, ask Heavenly Father what is most needed now. And he'll help you. It's his work. And he'll help you know. Yeah. Wow. I love that. You know, you often hear about this concept of staying present, um, you know, even meditation practices. That's sort of the goal is to just get get your mind present. Right. And and I love that in this effort of these callings, because you think, wow, five years is a long time. Or what do we you know, how is this upcoming activity going to go? But to just take a moment on a daily basis and just get present with your calling and say, well, what about right now? And over time, I bet, you know, that's going to be, um, the work you do sort of in that moment will be more valuable than really anything else you do. Right. Yeah. That's powerful. All right. Being willing to let God take you on detours. Did you go on a few details, detours, uh, Sharon Kay? Yes. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, it's good to have plans. We, we need to have plans. But we also need to recognize that maybe God has a different plan and, and allow ourselves to go on a, a detour with him. And um, I remember one one situation I had had a sister come to mind that I should contact and check in on. And I thought, OK, I, I'll do that on Sunday. I can I, I'll, you know. I'll find her at church after church and, and I'll, I'll check in on her. So that's what I did. I found her and she was busy talking to someone. And so I was just kind of waiting for her to finish. And as I was standing there in the hall waiting, 
someone else came up to me and started talking to me. And like, it couldn't have been more than really like less than two minutes, maybe a minute. Hmm. And I turned back around and this other sister's gone. And I asked, I said, well, where's sister so-and-so? And someone said, oh, she just left. She went home. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding. How did that happen? So I went home. And when I got home, I had the very strong impression to call her. So I picked up the phone and I called her and I said, you know, you've, you've, I've been thinking about you. You've been on my mind. I just want to check and see how you're doing. And she started to cry. And she said, I'm not doing very well. Hmm. She said, in fact, I came home from church and I was feeling really low. And I was just praying and saying, Heavenly Father, I just need to know that I'm loved. And then the phone rang. Hmm. And it was me. Oh, well, those are awesome moments. <laughs> yeah. And we had a really, really good visit. And she shared a lot. And it was a really good visit. And then I thought, you know what? If it had gone according to my plan, I would have talked to her at church. And we would not have had that kind of visit because her little kids would have been there and they'd been wanting to go home. And so I had a good plan, but God had a better plan. And he took me on a little detour so that we could meet her needs the way she needed them met. Mm. And um, I, we found that a lot, like in, um, in our presidency meeting, as we'd make um, ministering changes and assignments and kind of talk through what would work well, be, you know, before we present it to the elders, corner and bishop. Sometimes we just have a stupor of thought as to who should be someone's ministering sister. And I remember one, you know, it was like a couple meetings. We had a stupor of thought. And, um, and finally, on another, on like the third try, all of a sudden, a sister's name came to mind. All of us said it at the same time. <laughs> and the reason was she had just moved in the ward. She had mm. been in the ward before. <laughs> yeah. She had actually lived in the ward previously, a few years before, so we knew her. But this sister we were trying to find a ministering sister for had some special needs and special circumstances. And we just had to wait for God's timing. You know, we had a good plan, but we had to wait on his timing. And, you know, he kind of took us around a little different ways. So finally it was right. And then it all worked. So God has the perfect plans. Yeah. And sometimes we just gotta, <laughs> you know, go on little detours or wait, wait on his timing. Yeah. I love how you frame that concept because, um, you know, in leadership, we talk about, you know, setting vision and there's sort of this, uh, this, uh, you know, vision of a leader pointing direction and we're all moving that direction, but to letting sort of God know and being willing to be open to those detours. Like, yeah, we have a, a general direction we're going, but Hey, if you need to interrupt this meeting or, you know, whatever it is, we're willing to do that. And I think that that's uh, something we can practice more and more just being a little more aware of those detours that God's nudging us towards. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit about this already, but as far as like give how you are able, God makes up the difference. Is there any more uh, to fill in there? Yeah. Um, this was actually a lesson I learned many years ago and has helped me, um, you know, through all my callings and circumstances. And so this was when my children were very little 
And I had been sick for an extended period of time. In fact, I'd been bedridden for months, many months. And then I was finally gaining some strength, but still I could barely make it through a day. I mean, I could barely take care of myself and my children. And to go to the grocery store was a major event. And it would take me a couple of days to recover. And mm. and I remember one day I was in the grocery store just, you know, trying to make it through to buy a few things. And I was feeling pretty bad about myself. And I'm thinking, you know, I can't do anything. I can't, I'm not being a good mother. I can't do my calling. I can't give service. I can't do anything. And when I said those words to myself, I can't do anything, the spirit said, you can smile. I hmm. thought, okay, I can smile. <laughs> and so as I walked through the grocery store, I smiled. And I don't know if that made a difference for anyone. Maybe it did. I don't know. But as I got in the car, I felt like Heavenly Father was so pleased and saying, good job. You did what you could, and I will make it more. I will make your little efforts more. Good job. I'm so proud of you. Hmm. And so, um, so I just tried to remember that, especially when I've had big callings to just do what I can. And Heavenly Father is so happy and so pleased at our efforts, and He will make more of our efforts. He will magnify because He is a God of abundance, and that's what He does. Nice. Wow, that's inspiring. I love that. And, and so encouraging. And, and I can think back of many moments in my leadership journey where God just took, took me aside and put his arm around me and just said, hey, you're doing great. You know, don't be so hard on yourself. You can do the, your effort is good enough for me, you know, and that's right. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, one concept that we were hoping to have time for, and, and we're going to take time and because it, it'd be worth it, this concept of strengthening those that you have stewardship over. And maybe this uh, spills over to your time as primary president and, and state primary president. So, but uh, break down that principle for us. Well, um, it's a it's a it's something that I learned when I was a young primary president. I was 23. I had never been in a primary presidency before. I really, my leadership had been, you know, I'd been Laurel class president when I was 16. And so I was very young, inexperienced, didn't know what I was doing. And it was a huge primary. We had like 220 kids in this primary. And it was a military war. So it was literally families moving in and out weekly. And I didn't even know enough to know that someone should orient me in my new calling. And I mm -hmm. never got any orientation from anybody. <laughs> You're the first one ever, Sharon Gay. The first one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the outgoing president told me one thing that really has helped me in, in all my different callings. It has application for my mm. other callings. And what she told me was, take care of the teachers and they'll take care of the children. Mm. And so that was the focus, to take care of those right under my stewardship, the teachers, the one-on-one, -on -one, like what we've talked about, what do you need, what do you want, how can I support you? you know, taking care of them, and then they will take care of the children. And the, in my Relief Society calling, our presidency felt that it was important to strengthen the women, strengthen the mothers and the women in the war, because then they will strengthen the families. 
And so just if we will strengthen those that we have stewardship over, they then will be able to strengthen those within their circle of influence. So that was just an important thing that I learned. I love that. That's a strong leadership principle for sure. Uh, well, Sharon Kay, this has been awesome. Uh, as we wrap up, I'm just curious, uh, I sometimes ask more practical questions here at the end. I mean, did you, as a presidency in Relief Society or maybe even some of your other leadership callings, was there any, you know, app or system or thing you did or, you know, Tuesday night, ice cream nights with the ladies? I mean, whatever it is, I'm just, is there anything that really work that maybe is more unique than, uh, than anything else. Anything come to mind? Um, well, I just, you know, just sisters kind of on their own sometimes would, um, like one sister wanted to have a come follow me study group and just mm-hmm. invite the sisters. So encouraging sisters, like the presidency have, doesn't have to do everything right. Yeah. And so encourage, just encourage that unity and that sisterhood and let other sisters step into roles to ha- to help bring that about too. That we don't have to do it as the leaders. We can su- we can encourage and we can support, and yeah. we don't have to do it all. So. Yeah, I love that. Love that, well, Sharon Kay. The last question I have for you is: uh, as you reflect on your time as a Relief Society president and some of your other leadership roles, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, every time I've had a leadership calling, which I will have to say would not be my choice of callings, but seems to be the ones I've mostly had. But every time I've had the leadership, a leadership calling, I have been very keenly aware of my inadequacies, my weaknesses, uh, my limitations, and that I am simply an instrument in God's hand. I'm just a pen in his hand and he's doing the work. And so the best thing I can do is to become more like the Savior and follow him better and more fully. And then he will use me how he will to do his work. And it's a sacred, it's a sacred thing to be able to do his work. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense and share it with somebody who could relate to this, this experience. And this is how we, how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's, that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org contact. Maybe send this in individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them. And... Uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember to review the Mentally Healthy Saints library, click the link in the show notes or go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us.
by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.